Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to EuroNurse. We meet every Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time. If this, is, if you're watching us on YouTube, great. Be sure to hit that uh, subscribe button and that like button. If this is your first time to be with us, be sure to check out our website at euronurse.com. That's where you can find out more information on how you can become a part of the program. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Glido and Chicago Metro, that makes this all possible. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the program, hey, that's great. Click on that button for more information on becoming a sponsor of the show. It's your sponsorship, which helps make this program possible. Also, be sure to look at our website for all our past episodes. We're at 28 past episodes. Today will be episode number 29. So 28 great episodes that you can watch on demand anytime you want. Uh, just go to our website. They're all listed up there. Now, again, we are going to be taking questions and answers throughout the program. Uh, we'll kick off with any general questions. If you have any questions in general for urology, for the group, go ahead and put those through now. Um, during the show, anytime you come up with an idea or a question, go ahead and enter it in there. We've got our panelists here. This is a great time. And we do have a great show today. We're going to be talking with a couple of representatives from the Poesis Medical Company about this innovative catheter that Dr. Lin had spoke to us about a while back called the Duet Catheter. So we all had a, a lot of interest in it. And I was uh, reached out to the company and they were grateful enough to go ahead and uh, join us. And uh, we're going to have their presentation this week. Now let's go ahead and meet our group here. My spotlight off. There we go. And so here's our great group of panelists. Those of you that are new to the show, my name is Vic Sinise, and I'm the producer of the show. I've been a urology nurse for about 40 years, and this was my way of giving back to the community. So that's why I do it, and that's why we have these great panelists joining us. Uh, Dr. Lin's been with us for a while. I'm going to let him go ahead and introduce himself next. Well, I'm a private practice urologist who, like Vic, wants to pay it forward by sharing my experience in the business of medicine to benefit my colleagues. I have a strong interest in coding, billing, practice management, compliance, and efficient running of a, a urology practice. I'm also interested in marketing, social media, and online reputation management. Uh, I'm currently administ the administrator of the Thriving Urology Practice Facebook group, where we're about 2,100 US-based urology practice personnel. We collaborate to improve our practices, and it is free. And when they, when they say it's free, I'll take three back to you, Vic. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it the best price tag when you're putting something on free? It's hard to get people to argue that. Uh, so now we have our two uh, representatives from Poesis, Charlene and Greg. Why don't you start with Charlene and introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about you. Sure. Hi, I'm Charlene Johnson and I'm with Poesis Medical. And I focus more on the business side, but uh, I do have a lot of clinical experience with being with the company for 11 years. And uh, we're really excited to be here and, and share some new technology with you today. Hi, my name Great. is Greg Wita. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm a CEO and founder of Poesis Medical. This is actually my father and I's fifth urological business that we have founded. And we sold three of them to CR Bar that is now Beckton Dickinson. I participated in the device and service urological field for 20 plus years. Excellent. I always think it's interesting to, to learn more about how you get a, a product in the market and what's involved in that. So maybe someday we could get you to come on just to speak about that instead of your own product, but how you would do that. Because I think all of us that are in the industry come up with some crazy ideas and think, hey, could this really be something? So it's uh, very interesting. Um, don't see any general questions coming up from the audience but I do see a big audience out there. Uh, welcome, Amy, April, Charlene, Diane, Donna, Erica, Jackie, Leo, Melanie, Neil, Olive, Paula, Rebecca, Rhonda, Robert, Susie. We have got a packed house here. And that's only the ones I can see that aren't on the, uh, watching us on YouTube. Um, going to go into then our shared or our favorite stories next. And I, uh, I will kick it off with a favorite story. I know Charlene had a story she's going to share. John, did you have a story you're going to share today? Or well, I, I just want to say that you, you never know how a visit will go. I'll share that I saw a patient recently who was a vasectomy patient, and he was sharing 
with me, well, how he has three kids and how he is living with the baby's mama and how they recently purchased a house. And I thought, well, you're kind of doing it backwards. And then he shared, don't tell anybody, but I actually have an engagement ring that I purchased. You're the only person who knows. And I thought, oh my gosh, I felt so privileged, so honored that he shared that with me. So anyway, it just, the things like that just make you feel like, oh, this is the best to have yeah. that. To have someone trust you with that, with that secret, if you will. Well, I think there has to be a lot of trust when you have a vasectomy and somebody's got your scrotum in their hands. So, <laughs> trust I actually body. have an interesting story about that. My dad's University of Miami graduate, and um, he had a past tight end. This is years ago for the University of Miami football team that was coming in for a vasectomy. This gentleman is six seven. They're good friends and, and things to that nature. So my dad had the sterile table all set up and he had his nurse and he actually brought in an old, old hedge clipper, rusty, it was just, you know, just a horrible look at the, the guys all, you know, in his office, all ready to go. And he pulls back the, the, the blue sterile, you know, thing over it. And here's this old rusty thing. And, and my father's five, nine, he looks at the six, seven gentleman sitting in there, big football player. And I mean, he said his face just about went white. When he picked up the clippers, he goes, all right, now hold on, here we go. And uh, <laughs> dad's known for that around town. He is now 84. He started his practice in Jupiter, Florida in the 70s, and he's still practicing. So wow. just about everyone in this town is knows Dr. Wida, if you will. So anyways, I thought that was a funny story. <laughs> yeah. We've mentioned several times that it takes a real sense of humor to be going to urology. So it's not, not surprising. Now, my story is going to go back years and years ago. So this is uh, back in the old days. And we, uh, as, as now most surgeries for urologists are done as an outpatient. Well, back in the old days, we used to admit patients ahead of time to do the workup. And because of that, they would come in ahead of time and get all their pre-op testing. Well, we had a patient who came in with the largest scrotum I've ever seen, big hydrocele. And it was a, a soccer ball size. And so he comes into the you know office. We decide you know he's a little bit higher risk. We're going to admit him ahead of time to get his pre-ops. So he comes into the hospital, and normally we go to the surgery. We didn't have a, a urology floor, but we used the surgery floor instead, and that was our designated area. Well, surgery was completely booked up, all the surgical beds. So the the next place, the overflow, was to go to the orthopedic surgery. So we went and sent him to the orthopedic wing. Now, for those of you who have worked in orthopedics. It's a little different setup there. So we've got this guy with this gigantic scrotum. He's up there to get his testing done. And if you've ever been to the uh, orthopedic wing, they've all got these trapeze bars over the top of them. And this was no exception for him. So I walk into the room making rounds to come and see the guy. And here they've got this, they made, whoops, hit my mic. They make this sling out of this mesh material and they've wrapped it all the way around the top of this trapeze bar to suspend his scrotum to kind of keep it up. And they were trying to, you know, do good nursing and prevent any skin failure. Um, but I, I tell you, it, it was a sight to be seen. So you just never know. Could be an invention, maybe down the line, the scrotal support, but it was interesting <laughs> what the, what nurses come up with. It was pretty innovative. So that was my favorite story for today. Hashtag um, ball sling, hashtag ball sack. <laughs> uh, here come the urology jokes so I'll, I'll leave with one more on my side when they started the practice my mother and my father um she ran everything and we lost her about three years ago now to kidney cancer but so they were the first when they got married first and only so the story goes so she worked in the office all the time and i, and I guess my father maybe had said that all men are created equal well there was one time that she came out of an exam room and there happened to be an individual in there that was that was well endowed if you will and um my mom as she tells the story or told the story she met my dad halfway in the hallway and she pointed his finger and it hit him in the chest and goes you lied and <laughs> so anyways so i thought it was very cute and she was five one five two we called her silver bullet and she was she was tough very tough sounds and like I quite a to woman add to that story since i don't really have a story to add to that story because I remember your father telling that story, working with him through some of the clinical stuff. 
and your mother had shared with me, it was more than just he was well endowed. It was laying off of the table. Okay, well, so I wasn't going to go into details. Detail. Yeah. <laughs> so your mom was really in shock. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so anyways, but uh, in urology, you do have thick skin and a sense of humor, for sure. Oh, great. Um, that's it, I think, for stories. I don't see any uh, questions coming in. So everybody's, I, I could tell everybody's waiting with bated breath to hear what you guys have to say. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Charlene, if you go ahead and share your screen. All right. We got it. Go. While we're getting ready, I know we just mentioned a particular person's member size. I would just want to mention that in about 70% of the time, a female orgasm does not require the penis in the vagina. <laughs> they try to okay. say size doesn't matter, right? <laughs> All right. There we go. The fun continues. Yes, the fun continues. Well, thank you again for having us today. We're, we're super excited to share some new technology for indwelling catheterization. Uh, there really hasn't been a lot of innovation in the space other than just some coatings and some different materials, but the silhouette of the catheter uh, hasn't changed in 85 plus years. Um, so we're excited to share this with you and a little bit about Poesis Medical. We are innovating medical devices through meaningful design improvements, providing superior patient outcomes. And a lot of times what we say around here is we are improving the catheter experience one patient, one catheter at a time. So when we get to this next slide, let's see, there it goes. I'm gonna let Greg take it from here because he uh, really has the clinical knowledge with his 30 years experience. And uh, he can talk about the how and the why there needed to be a design change. So Greg, to you. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to look at my camera. I'm trying to focus on that, but also look at a slide. So I apologize. but. This, this slide here, I didn't want it to turn into a chemistry program here. So we have all the references and as a company, I think, listen, I'm just the messenger. So all we have done is gone out and third party reference this product and the value of the technology that to duet that you'll see in a moment has to offer and against what is known. I mean, over and over again, if you look at these studies, all the links are hot so you can go to it. But uh, you know, I think Vic was talking about how you start companies and things like that. I mean, the first thing is is to identify a potential problem. Then you start looking at the pain points, the financial and the patient and all things to that nature. This was the first step of that. We said, what is going on with catheterization? This came from my dad doing cystos and seeing all this damage. So lo and behold, Dr. Foley invented the Foley catheter in 1937. The silhouette has never changed. And so I went through with, with a lot of help from some other MDs and, and PAs and, and a lot of nurses actually in the hospital. And we began to bring all of these studies together. And it is absolutely confirmed that the offending item, and it causes two things in the bladder, is that exposed tip and that drainage eye. And so these studies talk about it. And so they talk about actually where in the bladder that the damage comes from. And what is it? It's polypoid cystitis. And so it's a weakening of the bladder lining that allows bacteria to get an attachment site. And that's what it wants to do. And then also it stops the bladder from functioning the way it should function, the turnover of urine. Those two innate immune systems in the bladder are key. And if they weren't key, women would be getting UTIs all the time because of the short urethra. They're always getting challenged with bacteria, but because they have a healthy lining, and they are drinking a lot of water, as their doctors say, they're flushing it out and they're turning it over. So I don't wanna go into too much, but as a company, that's the first thing on a fence post moment that we said, what is going on, what is the problem? And then as business leaders, we said, okay, how can we alleviate that? So then years went on about designs, if we did this, we did this. Remember taking in what's the cost gonna be, are the people that put in most of the catheters, the nurses and ER people, are, are they going to like this? Will the adoption be there? So the user experience had to be there. And all along the way, making sure that we embraced catheters are used across so many different care settings and for different problems. 
So we had to look at the, the trauma patient in the ER. We had to look at spinal, the ambulatory patient, because maybe, maybe a prostate situation is now wearing a catheter, urological procedures. So it just goes on and on and on. So we looked at all of those things. And then the sentinel moment really was, and I hate to bring it back to dollars, but in the 2009, 2010 period, CMS said, okay, hospitals, you're now responsible. So this was ushering in value-based care. And as we know in medicine, wow, does it take a long time. So here we sit in 2023 and we're still waiting for real value to come here. So it just takes so long to happen. But really when the hospitals were not gonna get reimbursed for infections is really the moment that we saw there's a huge pain point and we really believe, and we still believe, that those are, all of those pain points of patient safety issues and the cost factor coming together was reason enough to bring a product to alleviate that to market. So that's kind of the genesis. Obviously, there's a lot more there, but um, I think the, the takeaway that I'd like to make sure everyone understands is that I'm just the messenger. We're, we're not making any of this up. Everything that we talk about here this morning is actually validated by third party. Thank you, Greg. So let's go ahead and introduce uh, the duet. Uh, we're gonna talk about the Foley catheter for one minute here. As we know, um, some of the positives, it does have name recognition, there's familiar familiarity, excuse me, simple design. However, there are complications that come with this catheter. And again, these are all things that, especially you as clinicians know. Um, the one thing that I would like to add is that there have been a lot of improvements for addressing everything outside of the bladder. And so that would be your insertion aseptic technique, uh, catheter maintenance, surveillance, removal, and all of those things are equally as important as a new design for the catheter. And we like to think of the duet catheter is really that final tool in the toolkit. Um, because again, Clinicians and those that are on the front lines doing the insertion and the maintenance, they're doing everything that they can and they're still, the patients are still having these complications. So that's, that's really the genesis of uh, the duet catheter. So what's causing the complications? Uh, like Greg said, it's really the tip and the exposed drainage eye. And there's actually a little video right there that shows you what's happening inside of that bladder. And down below, these are actual patient pictures. And to the left, you see a bladder before catheterization. It's got a healthy bladder wall. And then this is what a bladder looks like in that middle picture after 24 hours of catheterization. And then of course, at 48 hours. These are damaged sites inside the bladder. And this is where the bacteria can attach and cause an infection. Charlene, if I can interrupt you, can you go back to the last slide? First of all, that's a that's a great animation. Oh, thank you. Hold on one second. And for for the urologist or any medical assistant or nurse who has uh, assisted a cystoscopy, after a patient comes in in urinary retention, you're looking inside the bladder with the cysto post retention, and you just remove the catheter. I can't tell you how many times that I've seen that right lower corner picture bladder 48 hours after catheterization, that ulceration from the tip of the catheter. I, I see that very frequently. And number two, what you uh, didn't mention is that if you look at the drainage eye in the animation, that drainage eye is sometimes blocked by the collapsing bladder mucosa. And sometimes that causes lack of drainage. And so patients may complain that my catheter is not draining. And that's because the mucosa is covering the drainage outlet of the traditional Foley catheter. Back to you. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. And thank you for bringing that up. It's, it's really interesting. If you go online and you uh, Google search catheterized bladder, what you will see is a bladder distended with urine, kind of like the beginning of that picture, and the Foley catheter just sitting in there, not coming into contact, which is not accurate because what happens is, is that, that as the bladder drains, it actually collapses around the device inside the bladder. So if I could you. do an, an analogy real quick, and, and I, I've used this a lot, 
the, the, why does that happen? Why are we getting that dynamic suction? And so if you look at a catheter about 17 inches long, well, you have a, a column of urine in there. So we can all remember when we were kids, and if you have kids, how you were kind of enamored with being able to hold Coca-Cola in a straw by putting your finger over it. That's exactly what's going on. But if you look at your finger skin at the top, if you will, that is getting pulled in by the volume of that. It wants to evacuate, but there's no vent. So now we do have top vents where the junction of the closed urinary system goes. And we were one of the first companies that came up with it. I think actually Medline was in there as well. But now Bard has it, by the way. But Medline and, and we were doing it first. We we're trying to break that suction as close as we can, but you can't break it up in the bladder. So 17 inches below where the urine is and the vacuum is being caused, we can break it. But yet you still have the whole column of urine that's in that catheter that wants to bring that tissue in there and block it. And it stops one of the innate immune systems, the turnover. At our 396 patient trial at Tampa General Neurosciences ICU, we had a lot of time to talk with nurses about what the experience, and it's amazing how they would tell us that with the Foley, that sometimes they, they would note that the urine would be slow, wouldn't be coming out, but if they move the patient or if they rolled the patient or manipulated anything with the catheter, a sudden they'd get a rush. And so we explained to them, we said, that's exactly what's going on, is that it's blocked up there and it takes something to break it loose and then you get that drainage event. It's like a vacuum seal. Yep, exactly. Spot on. Um, Vic, I see a Q&A up there. Do we, looks like somebody has a question. We'll take those after the presentation. Okay, okay. So what are the impact of these complications? Again, you know, I'm not saying anything here that um, everyone doesn't know that's in the field. Uh, whether you're in the hospital, or in a post-acute setting with home health, skilled nursing, and LTAC, or in the urology space as a urologist. Um, this slide is probably a little more facing home health where unscripted PRN visits are um, costly to the organization and uh, there is a high incidence of these uh, events, uh, unscripted PRN visits with patients that have a catheter and it goes again beyond the Cotty story and having an infection. A lot of these unscripted visits are more due to the catheter blocking as Dr. Lynn shared and the patient discomfort. And then of course, usually if the catheter's blocked, there's leaking around the catheter. And then lo and behold, it always happens on a weekend or a holiday and the patient goes to the ER where you know, they can potentially readmit. Um, and of course, this negatively impacts the value-based model. And uh, while the duet is slightly more expensive, um, it is there are significant costs on the back end with these complications. So here's the duet catheter. It's really a simple design. You can see the picture to the right. It has a retention balloon, just like the Foley, that holds it in the bladder, holds it in place. But what makes the duet unique is the bladder protection balloon. So now when that bladder collapses as it's draining, it sits on a cushioning surface. And then most importantly, that drainage eye is in between those two balloons. So you don't have that blockage. Uh, there's constant uninterrupted drainage that occurs, which is much healthier for the bladder. So you do have that urine turnover. So the features are it's dual balloon design with the bladder protection balloon. Uh, it is an active drainage eye protection. And of course it is hundred percent silicone. And we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, because that is a, a billing issue as hundred percent silicone. It is considered a specialty catheter. It does have its own special code, but again, we'll talk about it when we get to that slide. Charlene, can uh, I mention, can I mention one sure. thing? It kind of goes to my Definitely. overview statement if you'll notice that it's 100 percent silicone so people are very comfortable with that we've made it a lot softer as so we can talk about that because silicone does have some inherent problems with cuffing and whatnot so we did our best to engineer that out of it but also the thing that i mentioned is that you know you never know where these catheters are going to go and there's just so many usage for them out there across the care continuum and so we know that there's atrophied bladders when you've been on a chronic drainage 
The bladder is a muscle. It will be smaller. And we have Dr. Michael Canelli up in the Carolinas that he says, you know, I have some of these patients that their bladders are so small that even the base balloon, the retention balloon, I won't put it all in the first one. He might go seven cc's. So each one of those balloons are individually adjusted, adjustable, if you will, for what you might run into with a patient. And just case in point was, you know, the, the chronic catheter one, because they can have a smaller bladder. Thank I'm sorry. No, no, that, that's a great point. And he does find that, especially with uh, patients that are new to his clinic, he's with Atrium Health, but patients that are new to his clinic that have had a chronic Foley for whatever disease process or spinal cord injury, and then he changes them to the duet catheter. Um, he does do that adjustment with the balloons because sometimes their bladders can be quite small. So good point, thank you. So here you have a side-by-side -side video showing you what's happening inside that bladder. We have the Foley to the left. And above each of those GIFs, you see the traditional catheter. This is a, a radiologist uh, who's an advocate for us. And he had taken these images and you can see that Foley catheter inside the bladder with the bladder completely collapsed around the tip. So not only is there a lot of damage occurring there, the bladder is definitely not draining. The catheter is completely blocked. And then in comparison, uh, over to the right, you can see the duet catheter functioning in a more healthy manner for the bladder. We have the bladder protection balloon and that drainage eye is completely open and able to drain. So why does the duet make sense uh, with home health? And we do have studies confirming this case reports. There is a definite de decrease in the unscripted PRN visits. Uh, and then of course, this lowers your cost on the back end. It's much more positive for the patient as well as clinicians, um, especially in that home health space today. There really is a terrible staffing shortage across the country. Uh, the nurses are very stressed, and this is just another way to actually help our clinicians as well as the patients by decreasing those visits. And then, of course, readmission. Can I, can I add one thing to that as well? Um, some I'm very excited about, and, and I think it's it's needed, and I, and I love it because it, it harpens back to how medicine used to be with going to people's homes. Well, the big buzz now, we're going to see how this works, but early um, pilots are demonstrating that they're they're really able to move a lot of these higher acuity patients from the hospital to the home. So medically at homes involved, the Mayo's involved, Kaiser's involved, Baxter's involved as well. So um, it's early days, but there's a lot of money chasing this and preliminary results are, are demonstrating some equivalent outcomes at a patient's home. So um, we really think that we have a, actually we have a call with Cardinal next week to discuss this very deal. We think we have a seat at that table just because of everything that Charlene just mentioned about you know better value-based care. And that new movement, it's gonna need it. Uh, if they get high readmissions and things of that nature, it, it, the whole model really might not stand up. Right, right. Well, it's really a simple solution. Um, you know, and I think the thing is about uh, catheters is it's, it's a low cost, uh, people look at it as a low-tech item, but um, it is something that can have huge cost for the organization, huge implications for the patient, and um, it's it's such an easy fix. Um, Greg, I'm going to let you talk about this slide because this is the Tampa General, which we, we have the poster further down, but if you want to give a little bit of color hey, on. Hey, before you, before you go on, uh, Greg, if you don't mind, there are not just the costs, like Char Charlene said, not just the cost of the catheter, but the back-end costs, such as the phone calls to your already distressed staff when the catheter is not draining, when the catheter is not comfortable, those costs need to be accounted. And that is part of the expense of not having a comfortable catheter or a catheter that is not draining. Those phone calls are costly on the back-end. Well, and that's the thing, and it's hard, and I am not a pro in the billing and reimbursement, you know, and how all the finance works. Um, you know, it's iterative in many because by state by state, it can change, but it, but it really is. I mean, I always say to a lot of people that say, well, you're a little higher cost. I said, you know, if you just take our cost in a vacuum, 
without bringing the potential savings to that, if we can't have that dialogue, then you're right. If you're just going to take it on a single plane of cost and not look at anything else, it's it's not going to work for you. But you know, the, the ones that really get it are the ones that say, okay, let's let's do a retrospective review and and what does our picture look like? Because I just learned the other day, and, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but a course of antispasmatics was 200 bucks. So when you're talking about being three to four dollars higher than the common foley, I mean, one event like that, and it's just not the cost of the acute medicine, by the way. It's a doctor getting involved. It's a doctor calling in the script. It's someone going to pick the script up. You know, it's amazing when you think about so many of the other peripheral things that that really, because of the catheter and its space and how long it's been around, people just don't think about it a lot. Um, and very importantly, when the patient starts complaining about the splatter spasms and the discomfort, the prescription medication, it's just another headache for me as a prescriber. Now I have to pull up the chart, even though, yes, it's convenient, it's electronic, I can make a few clicks, but you, you account that across the tens of thousands of patients that you're taking care of. And the number of these tiny little jabs of, I, I call it death by a thousand cuts, these, these tiny little I, moral injuries and, and things that could be done more efficiently that are just not being done because of lack of knowledge or maybe just being short, short some people are just being short sighted, sighted, looking at the top line number and not at the bottom line number. Also side effects from these medications cannot be ignored as well. Right. Right. I've heard there's uh, constipation can be a side effect with the antispasmodic. And, and speaking about the cost, I think, at least in my experience, what happens is that whether it's um, a home health, a skilled nursing, a hospital, your cost centers are siloed. So the catheter is caught up in supply chain. So supply chain will see, oh, this catheter is $5 more. Well, we can't do that but yet they're not looking at these other costs that come into it, whether it's the unscripted PRN visit or it's the patient uh, making a visit to the ER being readmitted. And then even the antispasmodic, that comes out of the pharmacy side. And so you really have to get to that financial person and say, hey, let's, let's take a look at what's really happening. If you were to, I'm an accountant by trade, but if we were to job cost the patient, these are things that you would look at where you would say, well, I've spent another $400 of taking care of this patient for my global fee from Medicare. And I could have avoided all that if I had just paid an extra $5 for the catheter. It, it's again, it's just such a simple thing. And then let's not talk, you know, let's talk about what happens with the patient. The patient is experiencing all of these horrible events, the blockage, the discomfort, the leakage. Um, and, and really the focus should be on that because the cost side of it and the economic impact is there. But as you guys shared, you really have to get, you have to coalesce and bring everyone together to, to make them see the light. Well, well Charlene, being on the finance side of things, you know that the CFOs are looking at the numbers from the, for the next quarter. They're not playing an infinite game of healthcare. They're playing a finite game. That the finite is the next quarter or the next six months. So they don't look at the big picture and that's the problem in healthcare. Right, so I digress. Right. No, yeah. you're, you're absolutely correct. Having worked in the finance department at a hospital, you are absolutely correct. We're, we're focused on that uh, cash days on hand. So, <laughs> all right, let's go to our next slide. So this is one of our home health. Wait, Greg didn't cases. talk about the, did Greg talk about the ETIs? That's important. Oh, yes, the bodies. So I can real, real quick that that Tampa General. You know, we're going to have the we're going to actually have the poster. Uh, I I believe it might be the next two slides. Do you want to talk about it then? And, and by the way, just for the listening audience, I have absolutely no financial relationship with Poesis. <laughs> just just want to be clear. Thank no, you. It's full disclosure, absolutely. And so I mean, these Charlene, you can mention this one, but just real quick to the Tampa one, and we'll get to the actual poster that was published in the. Uh, 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 Journal of Urology, actually. But um, that one, I was really, that was our first one. And how that came through, it came through urology. And, you know, we we, we started this company because my pedigree is urology, crisscrossing the state of Florida. 
just going to urology office doing the old carry the bag and knock on the door and try to get in and hear some samples use it and we think you'll notice something and we really were learning because we we didn't know all the things that we were going to do we knew the design we knew the problem we were trying to solve for so we thought we aligned pretty well and we made some changes over the years obviously iterations but um one of those patients kept populating at dr raw orderica at usf urology that that's the, the academic attached to Tampa General Hospital. And so finally, I get a call from the urology department at USF, and they say, you know, I keep getting these double balloons. What's going on here? So he calls me over there, and after about six months of some lunches and talking and working and more patients and things, he looks at me and he goes, you know, you know, so what's your goal with this? And I said, well, I need to get across the street. They got a horrible cotting problem. And so lo and behold, once you had enough cachet with Dr. Ordorica, um, he said, well, I'm on the cotting committee. So within a week, I'm in front of 18 people of all different facilities, you know, places in the in the um, hospital, and they picked out two I- neurosciences ICUs, and they said that's where we're going to do it. And so you are just to give them samples, and you're to train the nurses, and that's what we did. And we sat there for six months doing that, and the res- we didn't know. I mean, I was on bated breath the whole time because this is the first time we're really doing a controlled trial on this. And it was amazing. Not only the trial results were amazing, but then they went on to use the product for like three more years. And the the, the Cotties, I mean, they, they had told me that they had never had that low of rates. And so I think the important takeaway for that is, is that what Charlene says, we know there's a lot of little things that can add to a Cotty. You can have the best technology, but you know, if your insertion isn't right, if your maintenance post-insertion is not right, if there's fecal incontinence, you know, Duet aside, you're, you could have a cotty, but you still want to make sure that you have the most innovation and patient safety things in your bundle. So if you're showing something like we showed over there, the reduction was amazing. You know, why wouldn't you want that on your side? So you're fighting on every little part of the bundle is the best you have. And, and that kind of was the takeaway. So we're very excited and, um, and it was a great learning experience for the company, obviously. Yeah, I would agree. It's about risk management. So uh, beyond the hospital walls, we have everything post-acute. And this uh, case report is really focused on home health. And again, uh, these patients, while CAUTI is certainly the biggest offender, there are other events because these patients have a catheter for a longer uh, period of time. And um, as we've discussed previously in the slides, it's about that discomfort and the pain leakage, blockage, and unclear urine. And as you can see from the graph, there was a marked huge reduction in all of those events for these 12 patients. Greg, this is uh, the long-term acute care uh, facility that you worked with. Do you want so to this share is this a, one? This, this was, is focused this was, on the- uh, Yeah, this was Acuity Health. And um, they are now select medical, they were purchased. We're still trying to get all this out of it. That quote was actually from the chief medical officer that was at Acuity. And something to be said about all these, Tampa General, we didn't pay for. Acuity, we didn't pay for. First Call Home Health, we didn't pay for. The Mayo Clinic that's now done, we're waiting for that data, we didn't pay for. And really what these end up being is, how does it function in our four walls? First of all, is the safety there? Yes, it's definitely there. If you look at the MAUD, I think over 10 years, we've had one complaint and was non-reportable basically. So that's that's the FDA public reporting side. But the FDA is now, because we want to go back and get some labeling claims for the device, they are really starting to weight very highly real world post-market release of products. And so they're allowing those to come in to submissions to the FDA to get labeling claims on products now. So this is why, I mean, all these are just real world. I mean, there's nothing to do with this. We didn't even know they were doing it. Um, we ended up, I think we were back ordered or something years ago. And how we found out about this is they contacted us to make sure that it wasn't from one of the distributors being back ordered and they couldn't get it from us. And so we had a nice conversation. That's when they told us all about this. And I said, wow. And I said, you know, what, what can you, you know, share with me? And this is what they shared. And this is how all the, the trials have gone basically with this product. But um, this was very exciting to see this. And so we're extremely happy about this one. We have another IRB that's going on right now that will be done in about 60 days. 
So we'll get to that one in a moment, but um, Charlene, continue, please. So I think here, here's the uh, Tampa General uh, poster that uh, was a published abstract in the Journal of Urology 2016. Um, so go ahead, Greg, and you can talk about uh, I mean, since you worked closely. Yeah, it's you. pretty It's pretty much, you know, it, it, it's an abstract and I'm sure people that are on the line have seen more abstracts than I've seen, um, but this is pretty much the tail of the tape here. And um, it, it, it's interesting, there's a lot of between the lines because we were talking to the actual nurses that were putting them in um, night and day up in the um, neurosciences ICUs. And, and it's, it's one of the things that I said about speaking with some of those nurses about how they see the rush of the urine, there's more constant turnover with ours. So it was kind of interesting, but you know, that's, there's, there's, you know, an independent 396 patient study direct head to head with um, the standard Foley catheter. And I think the, the average catheter days looks like it was between four and six days for each, each patient in the study. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this, this, this goes back to uh, the acute versus the post-acute again, in that post-acute segment where a lot of our focus is now it does go beyond that catheter associated infection story um, because things that were not tracked in this study, of course, were the bladder spasms and the leakage um, and the discomfort. So these are just a sampling of our current customers. And uh, with all of these uh, customers, we continue to build our clinical book and uh, adding more case reports. And OSF Health out in Illinois is one of our biggest customers, and uh, we we have a great advocate there. And you know their focus was on really reducing their catheter-associated infections for their home health patients. However, what happened during their trial period? They said, "Gosh, what we're noticing is the patients because these are patients that had been previously catheterized with a Foley catheter. What they're saying is." automatically, once the change happens, how much more comfortable the catheter is, then they noticed that they had a decrease of their antispasmodic prescriptions, a decrease in those unscripted visits due to the blockage and the leakage that occurs. Um, so we're, we're very happy to have them as a customer and they, they continue to share their data with us. And these are the sizes that we offer in the duet, 14, 16, and 18. We are working on uh, a 20 and a 22 French. Um, and it is HixPix code A4344, which is for 100% silicone. And whether, you know, it depends on whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance, uh, they each have um, documentation requirements for 100% silicone. So whether it's a Foley or a Duet, you would have to do uh, the same documentation. And my understanding is, I know with OSF Health, it's two catheter-associated infections that need to be documented before they can get that reimbursement for the 100% silicone. Um, we are on formulary there, and they're actually working through with their financial department because they're waiting for two infections and all those other complications to occur before they will pay for the silicone duet. Um, so that's really something that we'd like to work on eventually with Medicare and some of these other providers in the industry as far as why is it that this has to be a specialty catheter? And I think Greg, we talked about going back to PDAC for that and trying to get a different code. But, um, it, you know, honestly, to me, working with all these patients and care providers, it does not make any sense to me why a 100% silicone catheter would not be covered just like a latex catheter. Well, when it comes to Medicare payment and coding and billing, if it's logical, it's an accident. <laughs> I've actually wow. seen, I've seen companies that have gone on, there's a YouTube video out there somewhere where when companies want to go get, you know, an, an up code, if you will, or get their own code, things, even a pass through code. And I got to the point where I would watch the presentations and I go, okay, they're not going to get it. There's no way they're going to get it. Uh, they might have a shot, but I mean, cause they had this whole panel up there and, you know, so many products came through and I said, well, this product does the same thing and you have not differentiated, you know, any of it. You're not substantiating why 
should they give it to you? And so, I mean, it, it's part of our learning curve and we have a consultant group that we're working with because if we do want to go, it's, it's a long road to go back and, and get your, get your own code, but it's something we're, we're looking at doing. Right. Right. And I don't know how it is with uh, HickPix, but with CPT, uh, if you get a new code, then the entire family of codes is revalued. So I don't know if the other codes, if the manufacturers or suppliers of the other codes products want to be revalued and typically the valuation for their products goes down. Goes down. Yeah. Oh. yeah. We have actually been educated a little bit on that too. And so, cause there are other companies that can petition to block you. By oh. the way. So it's, you'd be amazed at what happens behind closed doors. Yeah. And, and as I said before, I mean, I'm fairly knowledgeable with urology and business and things like that, but wow, is that a whole different world, the coding world? And so. I guess, I guess I just always look at it from a patient perspective. Um, I, that should really be on the forefront and at the top, but I guess that it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so the last page, um, because I know that this will be up on YouTube, it has both my email and Greg's email. So reach out to us anytime. And uh, that is the end of the presentation. So I guess I'm gonna stop the screen share and then we can go back to Vic and uh, get into some Q&A. Yeah, that was really great. Um, we are gonna go into our Q&A session and I uh, got a lot of questions coming in here. So let's start rolling through those. Uh, Janine Foster asks, I'm interested in seeing what a coup de tip looks like. I think she was talking about the difference between what would happen with the straight catheter touching the bladder versus would a curved catheter have less. Was that looked at in any of your studies or? So believe it or not, she hits on a very good point because a lot of the coudes, well, the silicone coudes actually have like a little bulb at the end of it. So really they're, they're going down the path of the duets. If you look at the duets, the most distal balloon, if you will, Really what we did is we, we added surface area. So on engineering terms, we spread the energy of the acute tip over the balloon. So thus we're, we're, it's, it's like a number two pencil sharpened and unsharpened if you wanted to draw a picture in your mind. And so to the question, we didn't really look at that. We are working on a product like that because we know the coup days are extremely, extremely expensive. Everybody wants to standardize. When I was working with Kaiser, they standardize all of their closed systems to a coude. And I was thinking, okay, you don't need a coude for a female. There's 50% overpayment on there. You know, there's just a lot that you don't need it. So what we thought would be interesting is that why can't we have a coude on the fly? Basically, you can have an angling um, element that comes pre-packed in the catheter that has the bent of the coude. And then upon placement, that comes out and it's, it's done. The one thing that we've worked on is how do you maintain a closed system with that? We've, we've got a workaround with that that's very nice, very eloquent. So um, we are working on that. But back to the point, you, I think you will see benefits from a coup day because it's, it, it is bent, but um, it, at least in the silicone ones, because the, the tip is kind of padded a little bit, it has a little bulb on it, but um, you still are going to have the tip. You're still, still going to have the, the collapsing of the bladder on those drainage holes. So that dynamic suction is still going to be there. And, it, and if you go to the website, we actually have a Cisto that's live and we're doing drainage events with an individual's patient. So we have a super pubic tube in where you're looking at this patient and filling the bladder and draining it. And it's just amazing. You know, Charlene said it a while ago, when you go online and go Foley catheter with a, with a uh, bladder, all of them are filled. Well, that's not the case. There's no valve on a Foley. Whatever's in there, it wants to drain because it's, it's one way going out. And, but no one shows it that way. And so we believe we're one of the first companies that actually show at, for people, especially nurses, because they don't usually have an opportunity to look through a cystoscope to see exactly what's going on in there. But it is amazing how that bladder all the folds and it comes down and, and it's, it's almost like a sulfane bag over an item that's in it. I mean, it just kind of vacuums around the whole deal. So it will get to those ID, those holes, even into Couday, and it will stop the, the turnover of fluid. Yeah, some good points. Um, early in my career, and I deal with a lot of patients with chronic Foley catheters, and many of them are males. 
Um, a lot of people were having 30 cc balloons put in males where the fear of they didn't want to pull down into the prostate. And if you look at the tip on a 30 cc balloon versus the tip on a 5 cc balloon, there's much less tip in the bladder. And I found that by using the smaller 5 cc balloon catheter, that patients were complaining less of bladder spasms and not as good as I think this duet will relieve it, but certainly just having less tip irritating the bladder was kind of an observation that I made just um, from early on doing so many chronic catheters. Yeah, there's, I'm not sure why they did. I mean, we, we, we see a lot of those thirties in women and people were talking about literally, in, you know, with pelvic issues that, you know, some of the smaller ones could migrate out. And so that's why some of the doctors were going with with a, a larger CC. I know that sometimes they'll do 30s post a terp. They'll pull a little traction down to keep that blood from going back in the bladder. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with all the new terp stuff that's out there, by the way, that, you know, like the Boston Scientific Resume, for me, working with urology and brachytherapy for so many years, it, it is such an exciting time in men's health when it comes to prostate procedures. BPH procedures in a doctor's office is amazing. And there's multiple, multiple options. There's also targeted prostate cancer in doctor's office. You know, so I'm super, super excited. I'm a PC survivor myself, radical prostatectomy, Memorial Sloan Kettering, age 38. So, um, you know, knock on wood, I'm, we caught it real early and a um, little serendipity that I work in urology. My dad's a urologist and we uh, have a huge, huge, strong gene for prostate cancer and we're in the memorial sloan kettering study we're all gleason sixes and um but we we caught it extremely early so my dad's 84 85 and i'm 50 i'll be 58 um so anyways i'm, I'm very passionate about what they're doing with men's health right now obviously okay i got another couple of questions here coming in from Susie swain um probably have a lot of people wondering this can we get a sample to try Absolutely. Absolutely. Please email me and be happy to send you a sample. Great. I'm going to join that email club because I'd like to try this out in my office. Oh, and Thanks. Susie Swain would also wants to know, does Medicare pay for this catheter? And if so, can we write in the patient chart? What, what do we need to write to get it covered? So like we talked about before, it, it is the same as a 100% silicone Foley. So it is at A4344 code. And it is um, two infections or chronic encrustation, uh, chronic blockage, all of those. Now, it depends on if you're in the home health segment, skilled nursing or urology office. Maybe Dr. Lynn can jump in on this one and help out for a urology office. I, I know that your office manager said that there's additional documentation uh, that's required. Could you share some of that with us? I, yeah, I haven't had any requests for additional documentation on the duet just yet. So I, I don't know exactly what, what it is that is required. So I would have to rely on you because you see it nationally. Right, right. So it would be interesting to, to have maybe like a, a set of frequently requested criteria from POESIS. That'll be ideal so that the providers can know what to document. I think that's a great idea, and I will be working on that next week. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Paula Wagner says, I only place silicone catheters as the literature notes. It is the only way to decrease sedimentation. We've had a couple of good talks on that, too. So, yeah, good point, Paula. Paula was wondering if there's a uh, coude catheter. I think we mentioned that's still under development, right? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, we, we're hearing it. As we get out there more and more, we are hearing it. And so... You know, we, we looked at the design in full disclosure. It would be tough to make the duet design in a coude use silicone. And if you'll note what they do with those, latex is a little bit different. They'll make the bend in that. But with the um, silicone ones, it, it'll actually do a molded piece on the end that's rigid. And they'll have that, that bend made up on there. Uh, it's, it's difficult with the, with the um, duet design to do that. That's why we came up with almost like the catheter being skin and the apparatus that we're putting in there kind of being the bone, if you will, to make that angled shape with it. I, I will mention, and, and doctor can correct me if I'm wrong with this, but from what we hear, nurses are not allowed to use something that has a stylet in it. And so we all know the barred 
metal stylet that you can bend and make a coup day and things like that. And, and I think it's because of potential damage and things to that nature. And so we're actually working with the element so that it, it mimics the exact same tension and torque, if you will, that of a normal catheter. We're just getting the bend in it. So there's some work to be done, but um, we are we are moving forward with that. And we think for standardization for hospitals that it makes a lot of sense for them as well. And then we, I will note that the coup days are an extremely expensive product, by the way. More expensive than the duet? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Good to note. Yeah. And I think it's probably just the volume and then the extra, you know, if you will, handwork of connecting that that angle piece at the end. Uh, Erica Aiken sent in this question. Has you seen a decrease in bypassing of urine around the catheter? So I think referring to like leakage that we typically see from probably bladder spasms. Does it show less less of that with your catheter? With our case reports that we're getting from primarily in the home health and the skilled nursing, where you do have that longer term catheterization, uh, that is exactly what they are reporting. And that's what the first call home health case report was all about. And that was really the genesis. Uh, that was done back in uh, 2014. And since that time, uh, as we've added new customers, we service about 500 home health agencies across the country, and they all report exactly the same thing. And it's it's also uh, probably one of our biggest selling points when we go into that segment. And it is, I mean, it, it, it actually goes to another item here. And I know there's a lot of um, great experienced people that are on the line. So I want to make sure I say, articulate this the correct way. There's been a lot of studies that talk about residual urine and they, they with a Foley patient. And that's what's happening here. No doubt there's some urine that's left in there, but I, I find it interesting that how they arrived at what's left there, they used a funnel, a lot of them, and then they put a catheter in there standing straight up and, and here's the funnel and then the drain eyes here. And so they say that the urine's got to get above the balloon and then above the eye to then drain. Well, when you look at the, the um, cysto that we have live showing with the bladder, it, it's not like a funnel, it's actually you know, like this. So it's really compressing in there. There's not a whole lot of space left. So I, I kind of challenge those studies on that. Um, not, not that there's not some left there, but just the way they went about stating how much is there. Um, I, I find interesting after looking at some of these videos and things, and, and we did an IRB study down here when we way back in the day with patients. Um, it was a private IRB with Jupiter Medical, and we checked on that. Every single time that we pulled out a catheter, we looked for residual. And what, how Dr. Weida did it, actually, we did the balloon and he slowly pulled it up. So if there was any you know, urine down at that bladder neck, we would pick it up as the drain eyes went through it. And it was minor. There was some there, but it really was minor. And surely not this, you know, I've, I've seen ones where it's 75 mLs that are being retained in there. And, we just don't see it. But um, again, there are some studies with regards to that. So, And Erica also asked, any difference in CAUTI rates for those who have experienced frequent CAUTI? So I think uh, we know we saw your studies on the reduction in CAUTI, but as somebody who's seeing, I guess that's kind of the same thing. If they're having high rates, they went down. Uh, so that one that nurse, I'm sorry, Charlene, go ahead. That, but the first call home health, I think, was very interesting and really real world. And Charlene, correct me if I'm wrong. But so we had chronic catheter users in this home health. And what they basically did, they just did a switch out. And they, we that study that we showed and we, we have all the nursing notes and the contact. And so they talked about patient A, this is what he looked like prior in bladder spasms, pain, hematuria, blockage, infections. And then they swapped it out and followed that patient. I think it was for six months. And they did that with all 12 of those. So it was very interesting as a company reading the notes, you know, and, and, and things to that nature, and then being able to interview the people that took it. But, but based on that one, and then just, just a lot of usage, I think we have almost 500,000 units that we've, we've gone over over the years. Um, we, we do see an impingement on existing challenging patients that have CAUTI. A lower rate. And, but I also would like to, to uh, stress, and I'm sure all the clinicians that are on the call today would agree, it's really important to look at the overall picture, meaning 
let's make sure that those other elements, those other guidelines are really being adhered to, whether it's the aseptic insertion. And I think the biggest thing with these chronic patients is the management of that catheter. You need that securement device. You really need to have that catheter maintenance when you're changing out bags. Make sure it's a very aseptic technique because we say this all the time, while we feel that the duet is that final tool in the bundle or in your toolkit, that doesn't mean that you can ignore <laughs> these, these other steps that should be part of the process. So I have a final question I'm going to wrap things up with. Our final thought, um, with the duet being so new, so different, and we know that sometimes patients will come in, they'll have something placed in our office, and they may disappear and not come back to see us. Do you guys have any kind of a card that says, this is a duet catheter that's been placed that can be given to a patient like we do with, you know, uh, interstim and things like that, so that they know there's two balloons that need to be deflated. And I know you can right. see that there's two ports there, so but... You can see the two ports. It's actually stamped on the arms. Oh, so is each it? Each arm has a little stamp on there, a first deflate, second deflate. And you know, That was my thought. I'm thinking someone's going to come in and not realize... Well, because a, 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 a irrigation catheter also has three ports. Yes, it does. And this actually came from, this idea came from one of our nurses that we were working with. She said, hey, you know, you guys might want to find a way to identify this. So in the beginning, we did have, especially patients uh, in that post-acute living with the catheter, we had little cards. And then she said, you know, the next step that you might want to do is have it actually stamped on that catheter. So that any yeah. patient that has a duet that winds up somewhere else like you said, if we, look, if we look at the image that I'm showing here, mm -hmm. the big lumen is 14 French dual balloon and number the, the one on top says second deflate five cc's and then here first deflate 10 cc's. So and, and going to the beginning of that, when you put it in, and this was a lot, I mean, we went through a lot of actual users, mostly nurses that we interviewed. And so we wanted to make sure that when you put it in that no harm could happen. And we also wanted to follow, how is people trained now to put a catheter in? So, you know, men usually go all the way to the Y, you're looking for a return and then you go ahead and inflate, you know, the 10 cc retention. With women, you know, this can be a little bit different, but go on in and then usually when you get a return, then go another inch or two and then inflate. So ours is the exact same way. So we, we, we require that whatever your protocol, because we don't want to change hospital protocols, whatever it is for your male and female catheterizations don't change because everything that our technology represents is distal to the base balloon. That means that if you've done what your hospital or facility or how you're trained for a male or female, no harm could happen because you're in the luminal space of the bladder. So when you blow up that bladder protection balloon, you're there. And, and how I kind of say it with regards to, unlike a drainage, a wound drainage, you know, like the Jackson Platt, how it's just quick, right? They're just ripping those out of you. Um, I had two of those when I had my prostate cancer and it was really bad. An interesting story there that the doctor comes in, he goes, well, I got to take your drains out. And I'm like, okay, and I didn't know what they even, what he was talking about. While he's talking to me, he grabs one and boom, it goes out. And he goes, here's the bad part. You have two, so you know the next one's coming. So he walks around the other side of the bed and we're sort of talking again. I'm in anyway, and again, mid sentence, he rips the other one out. So a contrast to that is Foley's are never removed like that. I mean, there could be accidental ones where that happens and that's horrible, but usually, well, not usually all the time you deflate and you try, you know, to pull it out. If you get any resistance, then you repeat the drainage, you know, of it. So that's kind of how we did it. We had to train 3000 people at Jackson, or not Jackson and when we were down Jackson too, but at Tampa, they wanted 95% compliance of their 3000 employees. So it was night and day for 30 days at that hospital. We had per diem nurses that came in. And so we kind of learned so much going through the training process and all the feedback and, and making all the shifts. And then we had to get the floater nurses and it was, you know, never have done that before. And it was a heck of an experience, but we learned a lot from it. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, this has been a great meeting. We really enjoyed having uh, Greg and Charlene from the company talk about their product. It's really a nice thing to be able to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And thanks, John, for all your great comments throughout throughout the 
the talk. Um, just want to bring it to our, our end because that's one of the things we always try to do is keep people on time. And uh, just want to go over next week, just a little plug for next week's. It's going to be on testosterone therapy. Dr. Aaron Berger is going to be talking about that. Um, that picture is not Dr. Aaron Berger, by the way. For those that uh, kind of seen some of this stuff that's going on now in the AI world, that's that was generated through MidJourney. And I might playing around with it. But if you are interested in AI, there will be a talk in March that I'm going to do talking about this new MidJourney and chat GPT and some of the other things that you've been hearing about. So there's a little plug for keeping yourself watching our Euro nurse program. And I do want to say, if you haven't had enough and you want to still chat more about catheters, there is the after party. Just go ahead to euronurse.com, hit that big red button. You'll be transferred to a Zoom meeting where everybody can turn their mics on and talk. Um, and I will invite both Greg and Charlie if you'd like to join us for that. It's always fun. We talk about a little bit of everything. It's very informal. Um, so we'll, we will open it up after the meeting. And at this point, I would just like to say thanks to everybody who showed up for the meeting. I'd like to say thanks to my panelists once again. It's been great and have a great day. Bye, everyone.